0: What's driving healthcare experience in the year ahead? Leading hospitals and health systems look to the NRC Health Experience perspective for the top insights and trends that are inspiring transformational change in 2024. Register now to join the live national webcast and get first access
1: to the report. Sign up today at nrchealth.com. This is Chris Sosa with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled to be joined by Steve Davis, MD. President and CEO of Cincinnati Children's. Dr. Davis, thank you for joining us today.
0: Chris, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be
1: your guest again. So glad to have you, to be sure. Could you please reintroduce yourself a little and tell us about your background?
0: Happy to do that. So I'm Steve Davis, as you said. I'm the President and CEO of Cincinnati Children's. I'm a pediatric critical care physician, practiced many, many years Uh, in the ICU at the Cleveland Clinic for over 20 years. I did my critical care training at Johns Hopkins and, again, rose up the ranks in Cleveland in a variety of both academic and administrative roles. And then well into my career, I decided I actually needed more training if I was going to be an administrative leader. So I did go uh, and get a Master's in Medical Management uh, and then a Master's in Strategic Leadership About eight and a half years ago, I made the switch from the Cleveland Clinic, which was a place I grew up in and loved and credit for much of my development, to becoming the chief operating officer at at Cincinnati Children's. And then two years ago, I was fortunate enough to become the CEO of what I believe to be the best hospital in in the country, if not the world.
1: That's certainly a perfect segue to my next question, Dr. Davis, and that is, Seeing as Cincinnati Children's was ranked number one by U.S. News and World Report, what steps did the hospital take to reach that ranking and what goals were on your horizon for 2024?
0: Well, I'll tell you, I think there were probably three key things that helped push us from that top two or three that we had been in for uh, more than a decade to the number one ranking. And first, I'll say that actually, I think the pandemic had a lot to do with us becoming number one because during the pandemic we really changed how we were thinking about leadership and how we approached problems. As you remember things were coming at people fast and furious during the pandemic so we had to push decisions down as close as we could to where the action was occurring because those are the people that had the content knowledge to make decisions and what we ended up finding was a couple things that we ended up realizing we have an enormously talented uh, group of employees with leaders across the organization who felt more engaged than ever, and they were pushed to think differently, to act quickly, and to act together to get us through the pandemic. So I think we actually came out of the pandemic stronger than ever, and I'm not sure uh, other organizations um, could necessarily say that. And then when we, we've always been an organization that prides ourselves at being the best at getting better. We never say we're the best, but we say we're the best at getting better. And when I became CEO, I tried to make it as simple as possible for people. When somebody brings up a new idea or a new approach to a problem, I ask them to ask a few simple questions. And the first question is always, is it good for our patients? The second question is then, is it good for our employees? And if the answer to either of those questions is yes, then the next question is, how might we? And that simple approach to saying, how might we, ends up unlocking potential in your employees. Too often, people hear a new idea, and the first thing they want to do is give you the two or three reasons why it's not a good idea. Either someone else has tried it, or it's too expensive, or... Any number of reasons why you shouldn't do something, and that often shuts down conversations. So by asking how might we, it really empowers the employees to think about problems and think about how do we object uh, how do we um, achieve our goals? And our goals are always to do the best we can for our patients and to put our employees in the best possible situation. And what we found with that approach is that, Great ideas come from every part of the organization.
1: Dr. Davis, thank you for shining light in particular on how the culture of Cincinnati Children's is is built toward a positive approach. I'm sure that's very helpful in basically every aspect of the operation. Uh, Zooming in a little bit, what metrics do you and your team find most useful in making improvements and what advice might you have for others looking to take those steps?
0: So when we were really looking at our metrics, over time what we realized is that there were significant equity gaps in many of our uh, major outcomes. Things like looking at uh, black and white children with asthma and how often they show up in the emergency department or how often they show up in the emergency department with mental health issues or diabetes, any of the chronic conditions that we see And unfortunately, what we saw was that our outcomes were not uh, equitable across the different categories of patients that we see. And for too many years, I think we and others said that 70 to 80% of health outcomes are determined by the social determinants of health, and that occurs outside the hospital. And while there's truth to that, that's just an excuse for not working on hard problems. So over the last couple of years, we've really taken a laser focus on looking at our outcomes and looking at subpopulations of our outcomes and making sure that we're doing everything we can to close those equity gaps. And one of the ways we close them is realizing that while things do occur outside the hospital, that's not an area where we have no impact. We have strong community partners, and we started working with them more purposefully And what we've seen over the last couple of years is that while we haven't eliminated those equity gaps and outcomes, we've certainly narrowed them substantially and we continue that focus. And if I may, I'll give you one specific example that we looked at on how we work with our partners to close gaps. A couple of years ago, Dr. Rob Kahn, who runs our Michael Fisher Health Equity Center, and his team looked at the impact of the Child Health Law Partnership using legal aid for our patients in our primary care settings. Many of our families have significant needs, and they don't know how to access them. So we use legal aid in that primary care setting, and we were able to show a 38% reduction in hospitalizations in our patients who received legal aid versus those who didn't. They were able to help families with simple things like getting the resources that they were entitled to, which are often difficult to figure out. Working with landlords to abate uh, issues in the home that might impact the child's asthma is another area where that partnership really helped. And if you could come up with a drug or a treatment that would drop admission rates by 38%, I think it would be on the front page of every newspaper. So focusing on not just what we can do in the hospital, but how we can leverage our uh, standing in the community to bring together all of the organizations that might have an impact have allowed us, I believe, to get to number one, to close those equity gaps. And I can tell you we are laser focused on continuing those kinds of partnerships to make sure that our patients get what they need both in and out of the hospital.
1: Those are truly admirable efforts, Dr. Davis. Thank you again for illuminating us on that front. Uh, you spoke about this a little bit earlier in terms of the culture of the organization, but I also did want to ask you a little bit: How do you and your team help your staff buy into the hospital's goals?
0: Yeah, you know, we're really fortunate. Our mission is something that is really deeply held by our our employees. For several decades, our vision has been to be the leader in improving child health. And while many organizations talk about improving health now, very few, if any, were talking about it 30 or 40 years ago when our leadership and our board really had that as our vision. So we attract people that are drawn to that mission, and then we do things to try to strengthen that mission. And one of the things that I do, and I just did it a few hours ago, It's actually my favorite time of the week, every week. I meet with every new employee, and I talk to them about what it means to be an employee at Cincinnati Children's. And I go over with them the different job types and how they might be able to impact our patients and families. Because it's not just the doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists that can have a positive impact on our patients. Every employee has that opportunity no matter what the role. So I just love meeting with our new employees and talking to them about uh, how they can have an impact and then also talking to them about what's expected of them and how it's important to speak up when there's something they don't understand or that they disagree with. And we do our work together and we have a comprehensive training uh, programs that we focus on. The first, aspect of it is something that we put in place years ago called Safer Together, and then the second level of that training is uh, called Better Together, and we're now expanding it this year to a third level, which I don't believe any organization in the country is looking at it, called Courageous Together, and really training our people both on how to speak up in difficult situations and how to respond as a leader, and we think that training will help take us to another level in terms of our patient safety experience and outcomes and make it an environment where every single employee feels empowered to speak up and do the right thing. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing the impacts of that training in the coming year.
1: Certainly we hope that you have continued success on that front as well, Dr. Davis. Switching gears a little bit, certainly gun violence in the United States is not, a new topic, but it is one that is on people's minds, basically in whatever field that you're in uh, with you yourself, you're on the national healthcare CEO council on gun violence, prevention and safety on that front. What steps are you hoping the council and the healthcare industry as a whole will take this year?
0: You know, that is a, a difficult and, and perplexing question. I think the CEO council is a really good start. There are leaders from, all across the country. And I do think that hospitals are still an area where the general public has a certain level of confidence in what we do. We live in an era now where there's lots of criticism directed at leaders, at politicians, at all kinds of different aspects of society. I think healthcare is still an area where most people trust their doctor and they trust their own uh, hospital that they go to. I do think the CEO Council is a good start. It's clearly not enough, and we need to have the CEOs of every single one of the 5,000-plus hospitals taking on that m- mission to reduce uh, and eliminate gun violence. You probably know this, but it, it bears saying that firearm-related deaths are the leading cause amongst children for three consecutive years now, and 10 times higher than the next country that we would consider a peer in terms of uh, overall wealth. And that country with the second highest mortality is Canada, and we have 10 times the number of childhood deaths related to guns. So we really need to move from advocacy to action. There's been a ton of advocacy over the years on, on gun safety. We need to take that next step, and we need to make sure that people understand that gun violence is actually not a political issue it is a public health emergency there are some simple steps that i uh, hope that everyone can take and that's just asking the simple question uh, to somebody do you have an unlocked firearm in your home pediatricians need to be taught to ask that question parents need to be taught to ask that question it's not a value judgment on whether or not someone has a gun. In this country, people have firmly held beliefs that they have a right to bear arms. So our job as healthcare people is not to talk them out of that because that that usually doesn't work, but to talk to them about gun safety. And we know that gun safety uh, laws and gun safety training works. When you look at states that have really strong gun safety laws, They have less than half the deaths of states that have fewer restrictions. Parents need to ask when they're dropping their child off at a friend's house, as uncomfortable as it might be, do you have any unlocked firearms in the home? Making it something that is not uncomfortable to talk about and that it is everyone's job to understand gun safety can at least be a start to reducing the tragic and unnecessary deaths that we see.
1: Dr. Davis, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your insights and the breadth of your experience today. I know our listeners enjoy listening to this, and we hope to connect with you soon.
0: Well, thank you again. I really do appreciate the opportunity to talk with you, and I know Becker's has a really broad audience, so I'm always willing to talk about key issues that are impacting children everywhere. What's driving healthcare experience in the year ahead? Leading hospitals and health systems look to the NRC Health experience perspective for the top insights and trends that are inspiring transformational change in 2024. Register now to join the live national webcast and get first access to the report. Sign up today at
1: nrchealth.com.